This is The Art of Hiring. I started this podcast to share insights from those on the front line of hiring, executives, HR professionals, executive search firms, and the staffing firms and agencies that support them. There are so many aspects of hiring and so many different things that shape the dynamics of hiring. There is something so cool about the collective insights from those involved. I thought it'd be interesting to hear from people who have their finger on the pulse of hiring in today's climate. I'm Christine Cool, and this is The Art of Hiring. My guest today is MLK Starr. She's the global head of people and talent at a company called Ona that offers a data management uh, solution for enterprises to better manage unstructured data. I had a chance to work with MLK this past year, and I was so impressed by the company. Ona is privately funded by investors, including Atomico, Dawn Capital, Dropbox, and Slack Fund. Their customers include Dropbox, Electronic Arts, Lyft, Better, Carvana, and News Corp, and many others. So excited she had the time to spend with me today. Uh, welcome, MLK. Good to be here. Hi, Christine. Yeah, great. I'm okay. You have such an interesting career and background working in the U.S. and also in Europe. I wanted to start out by getting a glimpse into your origin story. How did you come into your role in working with the people aspect of organizations? It's more a, it's what my career wanted from me as opposed to me going on a a pre-prescribed path. Um, I have always been passionate about working with people and and getting the best out of whatever circumstances they're in. Um, And so I actually, my schooling was in psychology. And then through moving in a couple of countries, I actually ended up in an HR role completely by accident. Um, And turned out that it had all of the pieces that got me excited about humans and a whole bunch of things that I didn't even know I didn't know. So I fell in love with the with the function and it just took off from there. That's so great to hear. You know, it's so funny that you said you uh, kind of fell into this and that is what your career wanted, you know, where, you know, wanted you to go. Um, I've heard this now from more than one person <laughs> uh, that I've had a chance to interview. So uh, for this podcast, so it's super interesting. Um, how did the uh, psychology background figure in then? How has that helped you in, uh, you know, working with people? Is it like, is it a better understanding of motivations and behaviors and things like that? I think there's a little bit of that. There's a lot of obviously what attracted me to psychology is probably similar skills and and, um, attitudes that make me happy about doing what I do in HR. But certainly there's a lot of years of education into motivations and what makes humans the way that they are and how can you make them better, happier, whatever it is that, or how can you create um, frameworks around them that makes them better, happier. And, and the combination of those two, I think, has helped me tremendously in my career. It's interesting um, because I feel the same way about recruiting. Uh, since I'm on the recruiting side, I love the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. And I love that, psycho- you know, the psychology and, and using that to better connect, you know, with my candidates mm-hmm. and whoever I'm speaking with. So I, I totally understand how you know, you use that to kind of channel that into, you know, your career. So that's, it's great to hear. What do you love most about your role? <laughs> that's an impossible to answer question. Um, I love 
those little moments. So backing up a little bit, I, I see HR, the function as um, in service of the business, right? So we exist so that the business is set up for success. Whatever that means in terms of the actual day-to-day job, whether that's talent acquisition, whether that's performance enablement uh, frameworks, whether that's a better workplace for the the humans that work for you, um, that is all in in service of the business being successful, right? And so what I love most about my job in in the people function is that moment when you can see that a thing that you just rolled out, a, a project, a something that you just did, lights a little light bulb in somebody's mind, and they are now better able to, I don't know, understand their role, better able to delight the customer that they happen to be talking to, better able to um, feel successful in what they're building for their careers. Those Those are the moments, and how you get there is, is different in every case. Yeah, it's so dynamic. And your passion for this is, you know, probably what, you know, contributes to uh, your success in this role. So for my listeners out there, you're joining me today from Europe, where you're based now. And I remember Ona had opened its first office in Barcelona, though. So its first office in Barcelona, uh, and that was in 2016. I know there's a timeline calendar on your website as well. And then but in 2018, then the New York office was open. Post-pandemic then, last summer, I read, uh, I think it was a post that you had done or I had read on the uh, company website that Ona had gone digital first and that there was no more office. Uh, so I do know there are companies that are 100% remote and some that don't even have headquarters locations. So does this mean no more physical offices for Ona? It does indeed. That's That's exactly what it means. So what went into that decision? How how did the employees take that? How And how did you manage the transition? It was probably one of the most fun and most rewarding projects that I've gotten to work on through my career. And it's mostly because we had gotten to the point where every other company I imagine got to during COVID and towards the end of it, where the old wasn't going to work anymore, but the new wasn't clear at all. And so after a couple of attempts and probably failures of trying to figure it out in the executive room of this is what we're going to do, and this is going to be fantastic, and everybody's going to be happy about it, um, it became very clear that that's not the way to come up with the optimal solution. So instead, what we did is we pulled together project teams from the entire company where the entire making of the sausage, for lack of a better expression, was done in partnership with every single employee. So groups of employees had representatives in the project team. And then we would get into project team meetings a couple times a week where we would figure out everything from do we want offices or not, and all the way down to which software we were going to use for communication, what is going to be our, I don't know, document management process and policy. And um, every single detail, we got together, we figured it out. The employee representatives went back to the groups that they were representing. They discussed, they came back with feedback. So to answer your your question of how did the employees take it, they didn't. We worked on it together. So it was one of those things where 
we decided and we're going to stick with it. And for better or worse, it is our baby and we believe it. And it's been working really well. Mm-hmm. That's great. I uh, That's a really great approach to have done it that way. Um, have you used this approach also for other, you know, other initiatives at the company? I always work with employees. I have never done something quite to this extent where literally every employee was pulled in for the entirety of the project and certainly not something that would have this huge of an impact because going from we're sitting in offices and to we are now a fully remote company that is an incredibly impactful change so if you're going to do it in my experience you'd better do it with the people that are impacted by it directly at some point i think maybe in the beginning of the pandemic uh people were getting really zoomed out too where everything was remote, everything was online, everything was a video meeting. Um, I don't know if you saw or you know felt the same thing. I mean, that's a big deal to not have an office anymore where people can come in and and uh, see others. I would imagine this um, benefited you also in that your ability to um, be able to hire remotely, unless you know uh, you were already doing that. But I'm also wondering. What about then, you know, engaging with employees that relied on having an in-person, you know, presence, being able to go into an office to, you know, talk with colleagues in the hallway, the old, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of water cooler conversations. And so I know in the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of companies were just getting, and people are just, you know, I'm Zoomed out. I can't do any more Zoom meetings. And I, 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 I don't know if you feel the same way, but I kind of feel like we went overboard because in a normal office environment. We're not in meetings eight hours a day. We're not in meetings, you know, that long. So for the average, you know, employee. So this is a complex question and many different aspects to it, but uh, let me see if I can uh, narrow down. What about employees that relied on an in-person aspect? Um, I'm curious what you heard and, you know, from your uh, representatives and were there ways to address that? You know, are you still doing a once a year all hands or something like that? Curious if you, if you want to share any of that with us. I think, sure. I think, the, yeah. And any lessons that you can share with us that, um, and tips for other companies too. I can talk about our wins and, and losses and I can talk about my scars. Hopefully others can, can learn from it. But this was something that the project group actually spent a lot of time on. Um, for obvious reasons that, you know, you have named and, and a million others that we all felt throughout the COVID era. And what we decided was that there's always going to be gives and takes. And the gives of a fully remote setup for ONA were, or we valued as a group more than we did the takes. However, there's a couple of things that we continue to do and we have made a very conscious choice to scope into our remote-only company. One of them is there is a particular group of employees who, for very serious reasons, simply need an office. They need a place to go to, right? I don't know. Maybe they're multi-generational homes and they cannot work from home. Maybe they have some sort of a disability. There are situations in which, no matter what, the person cannot work from home, right? And so for that particular situation, we made sure that on an exception basis, we create the opportunity for that person to be set up for success while not in an owner office, but they will have a place to work from. Fill the gap or to address the same need 
that the water cooler typically addresses in a norm in a I guess historically accurate office. We did come up with a cadence of predefined meetings where we ensure that people can get together. So depending on function and location, um, we had to be flexible on this one. But we have teams at a team level are able to get together locally where they sit. Then we have function level get togethers on a particular cadence where there's budget set aside so that people can actually travel to somewhere uh, if they don't live next to each other so that they can get together and get that in-person um, connection. Um, we don't do a, an all company get together travel thing. We do a lot, a lot more, but a lot more often. And that is another thing that the, the work group decided that was going to be best suited for the needs that we have. Sounds like a good way to address employees' needs. So you moved to uh, Barcelona a few years ago, where part of the company is based. I'd love to hear about, uh, and I think what could be interesting is the multi multicultural aspect of the company. How is hiring in Europe different from hiring in the U.S.? If you want to share any of that, that might be uh, really great to hear. And you know, just culture is how has how do you um, blend? I guess uh, you know the multicultural aspects of the company. Um, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but uh, tell me from your perspective uh, how that impacts culture and then also how is hiring different or, or similar to hiring in the U.S.? You know, it, it's funny because if you'd asked me this question prior to COVID, I would have had a much cleaner response to, well, this is how you do hiring in the U.S. and this is how you do hiring in Europe and you have very different tools for it. But if you ask me in a very fortunate downstream effect of COVID, it is becoming a lot more a, this is a global talent marketplace and people tend to interview and hire and be hired very similarly, regardless of where they currently are. So from that perspective, I love what COVID has done because people have moved around. And then Ona from its inception was an incredibly international company. Uh, like you alluded to earlier, it was founded in Barcelona, but it was founded by somebody who had grown up in Morocco and he did his education in the U.S. and he was living in Barcelona. So it, he kind of by being the person that he is, he and the founding team, they, they kind of started this imprint on the company that continued to just multiply. So today we have people across Europe and the US, but culturally and, and from the perspective of background, we have um, probably as many worlds as we have souls in the company. So it's been, it's fun and it gives for a, an incredibly open and diverse environment to exist in. Um, and honestly, it also provides us with a lot of different perspectives when solutioning or when problem solving. I know that from experience, I started in talent acquisition just like yourself. So I know that throughout the interview process, for example, not only you as a company are interviewing people, but people are also interviewing you. Is this an environment that's going to make me happy? Is this a place where I feel like I can be myself while I invest minimum eight hours a day, et cetera, et cetera. And so this has always been one of the things that tends to attract. Uh, we were talking about hiring also. Hiring in Europe, 
and hiring in the U.S. You mentioned that uh, you found that at the end of the day, people are interviewing similarly, or they're all humans at the end of the day. We're all human. And maybe that's where having your background in psychology and kind of leveraging that really helps that there's so many, there's probably more similarities that people have than differences. But tell us more about hiring before COVID and hiring after COVID. How has that impacted? So my perspective on this could be colored by my experience. So before COVID, I tended to work with or be around much larger companies. So that there's some color in, in my response to this one. But it almost feels like pre-COVID, it was a very well-defined, nice, in-a-box. Most anyone who's in the business at that time could easily talk about in the U.S. I don't know. In the U.S., people value work a lot more than they work than they value other things. In the U.S., it's a lot more competitive. Some of the I'm sure everybody has seen the memes or, or the make fun of jokes about Europe about how nobody in Europe works, et cetera, et cetera. So there were these things that were just generally, for better or worse, accepted as being like that. I feel like COVID released a lot of that, if not all of it. Um, we all proved that we can work remotely. We are proved that we all proved that productivity is not tied to a chair or to number of hours spent in the chair. Um, people have moved around. I think at least half of the people that are working for Ona now and previous companies that I've been, that I was at during COVID have just relocated. So it's a lot more about people thinking hard about what works for them in their situation for the long-term career that they are building intentionally for themselves. And a lot less about, I sit in this particular part of the world, therefore, this is my, I don't know, business culture. I think that uh, people had to adapt uh, then during COVID. And just thinking back to, you know, productivity is Think back to what you just said. Productivity is not tied to sitting in this chair, how many hours I work. Um, Thinking that it probably hit hardest in companies, you know, they relied on and they required everyone to be in an office from for certain hours, you know, in a high tech company. I don't mean in a company where the business, you know, a bank or something where business is open from, you know, eight to five. But in high tech company, um, I think that it t- it caused those leaders then to have to adapt to. Well, I can't see everybody standing here. I'm going to have to rely on other ways to to measure productivity and also rely on and trust <laughs> the employees that I've hired. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think a lot of people have had to reframe the way that they think about trust on the teams and and what what are the outcomes that we're driving and what is just the busy work and do hours really matter or do we care about results? I mean, I think it was in many, many ways a very beneficial few years for the way that we think about managing humans and and being human at work. What about um, hiring in Europe? Is that different from hiring the U.S. in general? There's, I mean, the process is still the same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The process is the same. I think, especially for tech workers, it tends to be very similar. Um, like I said, we exist in a digital world, and in a digital world, it doesn't matter much where you sit. Um, now, 
it is true that Europe is um, is just differently set up. So the social networks and and even the legal frameworks that create everything that is a workplace make it different a little bit. But um, once you adjust for those simple things, um, people really just want a workplace where they can be themselves and, and do some good work and feel good about what they contributed. This leads actually to one of my questions, which is about inclusion. Uh, we talked about diversity a bit. Um, what about, let's talk about inclusion also. This is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's beneficial. Uh, tell me, tell us more, uh, tell us about your perspective on that. How, how inclusion has uh, impacted um, and been beneficial, you know, to, to companies. What's your view on that? There's no longer a barrier when it comes to physical offices. So I, I can't come, can't remember the exact number, but there was a very, very statistically significant um, increase in physical disability hires in this period. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that's good that uh, there's some good things that came out of um, going remote. I think uh, I've all, I've I think I've spent most of my career remote, although I have um, been in offices. I've had jobs where I've gone into offices and uh, I just think back to one where um, I had a commute every day. It was for in-house recruiting and um, it was hard for me because I don't eat out often. <laughs> I usually make something from the kitchen uh, and uh, and uh, I'm one of those people that sort of eats throughout the day, snacks throughout the day. And it'd be hard for me in an office where I, I either have to bring a whole, you know, little cube refrigerator you know, the ones that you have in the dorm, uh, or, or I have to sit in the kitchen. Right. And then I have a laptop and I need my screen. I mean, need my keyboards anyway. Um, I'd be one of those, uh, those people, uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's also ways I think, and I remember sharing this with, uh, people who, um, who I colleagues who said, uh, yeah, I don't know what to do now that we're hundred percent remote. I can't, I don't go into an office. I don't have that, you know, that timeline, you know, where I can close the laptop and go, oh, okay, it's end of the day, right? Um, people tended to just continue to work throughout, you know, and and be stuck to their phones. And we're making, we're already so tied to our phones, right? With all the apps that it, it caused them to kind of go overboard. And I said, you know what? I turn off my ringer and I have a set time, you know, six o'clock, my brain actually shuts off at six um, and uh, it's family time or dinner. And you know, and uh, you just have to close the door to the office, just, you know, or, you know, if you had an office, but cl close the virtual door to the office and walk away for the day and come back at the same time the next day, just like you would an office. I remember saying that to a mm -hmm. couple of people. Um, but uh, let's talk about, I saw one of your posts on LinkedIn uh, referencing this career jungle gym rather than the career ladder. Uh, and I love that. I hadn't thought about that before and I hadn't read that, but um I love that because thinking back, navigating a career certainly isn't straightforward. Uh, there's no longer this <laughs> ladder. Um, there's this career jungle, Jim. Uh, tell me or tell us more about your thoughts on this. Where did you uh, read about the career jungle, Jim, that concept? And what are your thoughts about, about that? I love the concept. The name for it to me is attached to Sheryl Sandberg, though I think she quote somebody else in her book um but so that's where I first heard the name coined and then in one of my previous roles actually 
the one of the things that the company and the HR team was focused on specifically is creating a scalable and uh, helpful and transparent process for providing people opportunities for a career jungle gym. And for those of you who may not have heard of this, the, the jungle gym concept is there is not one path from entry level to senior executive within a particular role, but rather all of us have a collection of experiences and skills from throughout our different stops, career stations. And then that is what ends up in, in the career that we are all building and putting together a little bit like a puzzle. Definitely. I'm thinking back to in some roles, there is a, you know, VP or director of a group, but there's also a staff, you know, kind of staff, let's say, I'm thinking like staff data scientists is what I was thinking of, uh, you know, or a, a VP or director, um, both similar um, levels, uh, but different tracks, one leadership and one more subject matter expert. So thinking back to that, but I think I love the concept of the jungle gym because it's not straightforward. Um, and people, I think, have to take ego out of it then, you know, where it's, if they think that progression upward is the only way, I think people get stuck on that. And does this, so with the, you know, career jungle gym, um, not going, not a straightforward path, there's different paths created. Have you, do you, does this become more complex than for, uh, you know, women leaders, minorities, or members of the LGBTQ community? What do you think? I mean, I'd hate to speak in, in the name of an entire group certainly whenever you are part of an underrepresented group just by default unfortunately you're starting from a couple of steps back although I think one of the one of the beauties of the jungle gym is that there is no set path and there is no particular rules that you either must follow and they are set by a group of people who control that path but it's a lot more intentionality from from I can talk about myself from the individual of what is it that I am collecting in terms of knowledge where is it that I'm trying to get my career and then what can I do to almost have this bouquet of different skills that I can then leverage to to do better in my next role so you know it's Yes, it's harder. And yes, maybe there's some opportunity to break some glass because um, some glass needs to be broken. Why not? So the glass ceiling? Uh, glass ceiling, glass, glass walls, everything. I think all of the, <laughs> yeah. all the rules need to be thrown out a little, little bit. And, and the jungle yeah. gym gives the freedom to, to do even a little bit, even a little crack, but a lot yeah. of cracks add up. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, what advice then would you give somebody earlier in their career in an HR or talent related role, you know, people, leader, what advice would you give them knowing what you know now with respect to this career jungle gym? What kind of advice would you give? I think it's really simple. It's stay curious. You don't know what you don't know. So be absolutely insanely proactive about looking for opportunities to learn, whether you think that it's helpful to your immediate job or not. Um, the broader perspective you can create for yourself, the more awareness 
you get of how you can be helpful, how you can be useful to bring the company forward. And honestly, how to best feel good about what you do every day. We spend a lot of time at work. Um, and it can be a beautiful thing when you wake up excited about doing it and work hard. I mean, that, that's a rule just in life for me in general. Work absolutely the hardest that you can. And then when you're done working, work really hard at being a human outside of work. <laughs> that's great advice. I love that. Uh, speaking of career jungle gym then or career ladder. Um, so Kelly Griswold was promoted from COO to CEO last fall, <laughs> which I think is great. Yes, she was. I'm so excited about that. Do you think, how do you think that's going to impact your ability to hire? So first of all, congratulations to Kelly. I don't know that I'm officially in a podcast or anywhere. I congratulated her. She is, she's an incredibly, incredibly inspiring uh, CEO in this job, but more broadly, such an, an inspiring leader. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed in the past, I don't know, five more acutely, but really 10 years in, in the talent market is that the generation that is coming in who tend to be on the earlier in career um, side of their lives, they're a lot more aware of what they want from a workplace and a lot more vocal about those things. And so we're already, I mean, Kelly has been in her role, uh, not even a year, and we're already getting some, some feedback, both from existing employees, but also from people in, in, in the market, in the hiring market, that they're looking for a company that embraces inclusion and diversity in, in an actual way, not just on paper. And when they check out our website, the fact that our leadership team looks the way that it does, this sends the message that Ona is one of those companies. Or, you know, we have existing employees who um, literally put it in our employee survey of how incredibly inspiring it is that they see someone who looks like themselves up in the leadership um, office. And I mean, if you look at Kelly's background, she's not a typical, this makes sense for her, that it would happen right here, right now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the fact that she is as, as inspiring as she is, and, and she is the human that she is, I mean, you've met Kelly, um, she's Absolutely. just incredibly human. She is a massively strategic, successful CEO, but is equally massively human. And so that combination tends to attract people who care about where they work. Absolutely. And the, uh, other thing to note also is the promoting from within. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I've noticed uh, that uh, you guys do a lot of that, which is great to have done that. I've worked with other companies too that are earlier stage. And uh, one of the things that I hear from candidates in any role, entering any role is, well, how's, you know, what's the company's track record in promoting from within? Uh, I think people hear that a lot and they, there's probably a lot of times when it doesn't actually come to fruition. And I love working with companies that actually do what they say they're going to do, because, you know, once I've uh, completed my project for the company and helping them to hire, uh, you know, hire a key person or into a role, key role is um, I don't typically, you know, have any insight into what happens after that, but it's uh, great to see when companies do promote from within. So have you found promoting from within also to be one of those things that's 
attracted and been appealing? I don't know that I can say yes in a measurable way. I know that in being in HR for as long as I have and in being the type of HR leader that reads survey responses and comments and, and then really digests them if they positive or negative. Um, and so one of the things that has consistently been in top five care abouts throughout my career is career development, right, for people. When you ask what is it that motivates you in the workplace, career development is one of them. And really, it's because we are all managing careers, right? We show up at work because we have, um, you know, we have families to to take care of. We have bills to pay, et cetera, et cetera. People are going to think about their careers much, much, much beyond their immediate job. And so, as an HR leader, the way that I see my role in that is I have a valuable human who is choosing to work for us, who is choosing to show up every single day and do their best work to make my company successful. The least I can do is create the opportunity for that person to build towards that broader career. And if there's an opportunity inside ONA, absolutely, I'm going to try to find somebody for it internally. Absolutely. That's uh, such valuable uh, insight. What is the, is there any other big takeaway for listeners that you have that you want to leave us with? Not super philosophically insightful, but I do think with every bone in my body that the next era for everything that has to do with HR and people and talent acquisition, everything that follows the shakeup of COVID I think is an amazing opportunity for all of us to rewrite the rules and to to create the workplaces and environments in which we spend so much time every single day into something that can make us happy and something that can make us excited to wake up and start doing every weekday. Definitely. Definitely. That's great. Great thought to leave us with uh, as we wrap up. How do the listeners get into contact with you if anyone would like to? Over LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, yes. Um, And I am happy to be in contact with anybody who chooses to. Thank you so much, MOK. It's been great talking with you uh, as always and uh, appreciate your time. You too. Thank you for having me. 